I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, heat wave here in the Northeast. Week, weeks. Happy you have to listen to us again after a week off week. <laughs> I mean, have to is a strong uh, phrase, really. No, you have to. That, that, that's not negotiable. I feel like have to is how you and I feel about the Mets and, and, and watching the games when they're on. Yeah, I, like if I mean, this, I'm watched. I've watched every, I think pretty much every inning of every Mets game now. Occasionally, it's been more passive. Like last night's game, it was fourteen to one, but it was on the TV until the end. Somehow, for some reason, um, I'm enjoying tonight's game a lot more. Uh, yeah, so I, at least with baseball, like I'm t- now, especially with the Marlins stuff, um, every inning is kind of sacred because we don't know when they're just going to decide how you know realize how bad an idea this is <laughs> and just call it. Oh so, yeah, they're, they're pulling the rug out soon. I don't, I don't know when soon is, but but when the Marlins can't field a team anymore, um, I'm curious what happens after that. And like, you can joke and say it's just the Marlins; like, they probably don't need to be a team in normal times. Um, as a Mets fan, I'm telling you, we need the Marlins because we need <laughs> it's to the only win way some we games. don't finish last. <laughs> so the Marlins are a very uh, important part of the food chain in Major League Baseball. And the deal is occasionally they get to win a really random world series and then they sell the team and then strap everything off the roster. And then every other year they're just bad. Although they still torment the Mets, even when they're bad. So um, this is all how baseball works. This is like a, the homeostasis of the sport. Although admittedly the Marlins haven't pulled this off since they changed their logo and decided to uh, relocate their uh, official name to Miami. Yeah. Florida Marlins. I actually typed out Florida Marlins earlier, like today. It feels better. It sounds better, even though I don't think that's been the name for, like, years and years now. <laughs> At least, like, eight. Although, I still catch myself, like, uh, when I'm writing about, uh, like, Colorado or Nebraska, I still catch myself, like, looking for them in the categories tag under Big 12. So, <laughs> um, yeah, some things never change, I guess. Speaking of conference realignment, um, and that was your obligatory Mets talk for the week, Um we have uh, not real realignment talk, but at least talk of Notre Dame temporarily joining the league, something that I feel like Notre Dame fans are fine with, but they're not fine with after a while because, of course, it leads to the inevitable, well, if the ACC is going to do this for them, then Notre Dame needs to give us something back conversation. Yeah, it's a very interesting conversation because – Hey, it's not surprising because they are, you know, kind of members of the league. They have the, what, five games a year on average that they play uh, against us. Um, and while Notre Dame people have basically been telling us how schools are lining up to play them this year, if they have these, you know, drops off uh, their schedule, their schedules, like, I don't know how really realistic that is. So they lose the USC and and, uh, and, Notre, and uh, Stanford games this year um, because the Pac-12 is doing conference only. They lose the Wisconsin game because the Big Twelve, uh, Big Ten is throwing conference only, uh, which is supposed to be at Lambeau Field. Um, so right now, Notre Dame has 
Notre Dame, uh, Navy, and it sounds like if anyone's going to play, it's Navy. Navy's been beating the drums like, even if we only play one game this year in Army, we're going to play, which, you know, we could, you sure, could probably whatever. infer how smart that is. Um, the only the only upshot of that is, like, someone made, raised the point, like, West Point and Annapolis are kind of bubbles to begin with, so, like, they actually probably could do that. I don't really know what the point would be, especially if they try to move Peltable to the spring, which obviously we think will happen before they try to cancel it outright, but whatever. Um, Arkansas and the SEC seems like they're really going to try to play no matter how bad things continue to be in SEC country. Uh, Western Michigan, who we also have on the schedule. Um, I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the MAC? And then they have the ACC games, and it's Wake, Pitt, uh, Duke, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Louisville, all online. And it sounds like as of now, uh, assuming um, they can't hold on to uh, a couple other games or they need to fill things out, like they'll be – part of the ACC for the year, including the ability to play in the conference championship, which begs the question, like, obviously it's a nice thing to do for them as like partial conference members, but, but what does the ACC get out of it? Does Notre, like, especially when you think about like Notre Dame's independent uh, contract with NBC and all that money, um, which they'll still be cashing in on for all these home games, like the Clemson game, which will be one of the biggest games of the year. I feel like the, the ACC needs to get something out of this besides just maybe like a wink and a nod about like, well, if they join a conference full-time, it'll probably be you guys. Well, there's no guarantee of that. Well, I think I do think that the current agreement that runs through 2036 does guarantee that. Obviously, that- yeah, obviously they can, like, find a way around it. This always works in college football. You can find ways around contracts. However, I do think that the, that, that deal um, that was signed as part of, like, the ACC network and, all, and, and the, like, contracts that go through 2036 or so um, – in terms of broadcast, maybe it's 2034. Uh, sorry, I don't have this on hand. But um, I do believe that that deal, um, I, well, actually, I know that that deal includes language that if they join a conference between now and the end of that deal, that it has to be the ACC. Okay, so that is interesting. But even so, like you said, these contracts are very, uh, they seem pretty fungible with all things in college football. Um, but also, like, I don't know. I, I just think you're you're giving up a lot to like a what is still largely a uh hypothetical especially because Notre Dame has made a college football playoff as an independent which was a big question mark when we went to the playoff model um you know they reached the BCS national championship two years before that so like if they're good enough we know Notre Dame is going to get the benefit of the doubt without playing in the conference championship and whatnot like they have the ability to make it to the top of the sport and and that being said like I understand why the ACC wants to play ball because adding Notre Dame is like adding uh the biggest profit uh free agent you could get like the the it's definitely a huge win if you can do it i just i don't know i think you need to lock down some sort of like i don't know if they give an extra game or two to the year going for uh to the league a year going forward or something but if you're the acc i feel like you need to to find some way to make this like not just a, a nice thing you're doing for a partial conference member yeah, that's the tough part. Like, if Notre Dame wasn't a conference member, then then we hold all the cards. The fact that they are a conference member um, and do provide a lot of value in other sports um, that aren't football, like, there's a clear, like, right here, here the problem is they're already in the door. We already like them to some extent, and we, in this case, is the ACC, like, from a football perspective. So, like, what is the what is the basis for keeping them out? I guess, and there isn't one necessarily, other than um, you know the ones you mentioned. It's it's the, it's the NBC um, home game contract. Um, it's the fact that you know they basically get to utilize the ACC for a season as a life raft, 
I think for me, like I've seen a lot of arguments about, well, like, you know, it, it's really lucrative deal for um, the ACC and like it gives them more money. Well, not really. To be honest, like Notre Dame joining for a season doesn't doesn't increase the, the, the value of the contract. The high ratings don't really increase the value of games. Um, it increases the amount of money ESPN um, and or the ACC network makes, makes on said games. Um, that it does because you're able to charge more for advertising, but it doesn't actually doesn't really increase the amount of money that's in our pockets for just this season um, in any way. Yeah, the only real like monetary like game that you'd probably see uh, really change is like the ACC championship if it's a Clemson Notre Dame title. Well, and, would... and and bigger really if they make if Ace, if Clemson and Notre Dame both made the playoffs somehow. Again, um, which already happened once. Yeah, which already happened once, but like which seems unlikely. Like then in that case, uh, Notre Dame share would relay to the other ACC members um, as part of the revenue split. So there would be more money in that case, but. Even still, I, I find it hard to believe that that they wouldn't engineer Notre Dame and Clemson to be a game on the schedule this year. And also, well, it's already on, it's already yeah, on the books. Yeah, so. it's already on the books, so you might as well just keep it there. Then you have the other factor of like, okay, if that game happens, then it seems increasingly unlikely that the two teams would face each other in the uh, in you know the ACC championship game. And then both teams would also, after that, after that second matchup, would then somehow also end up in the playoff. It again, it seems highly unlikely unless they split the games and both of them are three point games and everybody else like shits the bed around the country. Yeah. And the other question, there are two questions that raises. Um, if Notre Dame was to be like a, a you know, let's say we're playing 11 games, a, a nine and two team with uh, two losses to Clemson. Um, do they steal the orange ball bid? Are they allowed to steal the orange ball bid this year? Like, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a huge loss for like a team like we were two years ago where we, we lost out in the orange bowl uh, because it was part of the playoff rotation. Um, you know, think about, like, let's say it's us for, for just, just for argument's sake, <laughs> just for one <laughs> second, <laughs> just for one second. Let's pretend like we're about to win 10 games, which again, I don't think we thought we were going to win that many games in 2018. So let's say we have 2018 redots, uh, Tommy DeVito's incredible. The defense takes off. We are, um, you know, uh, uh, another nine and two or an eight and three team, but like the best of the bunch. And we would have gone to the orange bowl in a regular season. Um, I don't think anyone would clarify if, if Notre Dame could take that orange bowl bid as a quote unquote ACC member this year, because that's a huge detriment to us again, or to Louisville or to Florida state, if they have a resurgence uh, this year under uh, Mike Norvell. So I can't imagine that's going to be super cool with like whatever league member that is. And then, um, as you said, just on a larger scale with this whole situation, we've talked about how, uh, or at least we, I think we mentioned the, the 10 plus one idea, um, or at least the plus one idea where it sounds like the model of the ACC favors. And we should find out probably by the end of the week um, is uh, playing 10 conference games. So that's a bump up of two. Uh, and then one protected non-conference game. I don't know who it would be for us. Um, probably Western that, Michigan. It might be Western Michigan. Which means Liberty, yeah, Liberty gets to go face Liberty. University of Phoenix. Just like let Liberty walk. I, who cares? Sorry, COVID uh, stinks. Um, I'd rather much rather play Western Michigan, but that's basically to, to protect the Florida State, Florida game, Kentucky, Louisville, Georgia, Georgia Tech, et cetera. Um, and it sounds like the SEC and the Big 12 are both looking at similar things, if not like actually playing full 12 game schedules. So, um, if that happens and we have a 15-team ACC, are we just sticking Notre Dame in a division or are we going to like five-team pods, which I saw floated? Like It seems like Northern. nobody wants to do the home-and-home home thing now. 
I don't care really if you don't do the home and home thing because like I don't know that, that actually makes like things safer. Like if it does, like I'm fully then then obviously it's a good idea. I don't know unless you're actually like quarantining teams in in the same spot, which obviously is not feasible because they're unpaid college students. Um, I don't know that there's a real difference in like we play Clemson, Clemson, Clemson plays us the same year versus us going to uh, you know play the four teams that would be in our pod aside from us. And then like two from the other two, like or whatever the the math would be, because um, like the whole idea of playing a conference only schedule or something similar is to get everyone on the same uh, page in terms of testing protocols and like everyone knows exactly how everyone's doing everything here, um, and that's what like the whole potential agreement with the SEC and Big Twelve is is supposed to to bring about. So I don't know, I don't know that the home and home thing really like actually helps in, in the COVID situation. Like I think it sounds like a good idea until you actually like think about it for one second. You're like, unless you're just going to keep all these guys like in a hotel and like, Oh, we're playing everything in Pittsburgh for this pod. And like whatever. And, and that includes two games and it's each, each of those teams. Um, it doesn't really make sense. I don't think in terms of like the actual safety precaution situation. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, like a home and home situation is great for like the triangle schools really. Um, just because it means less travel, it means staying within your own state for a good. For them, it actually, schedule. yeah, that actually kind of makes sense for them. But for uh, for like for the, rest of us. Like the northern division, which would be what us, BC, Pitt, Louisville, Louisville and Notre Dame, probably. Yeah. Like that's just dumb. That's a lot of travel. <laughs> yeah, and like there's a lot of travel, and realistically, like then you have to weigh on top of that. Like if like I mean, even now with a ten game schedule, if we went that route, like okay, like. I mean, theoretically, it doesn't really make sense to send Syracuse to Florida, but it also doesn't make sense to send anybody to Florida, given the state of things right now. And it also doesn't make sense, on the other hand, for Syracuse, like if there's a 10-game schedule, it doesn't really make sense for them to miss out on Florida State and Miami, um, given the fact that, you know, Florida exposure is still good for recruiting. And I understand recruiting is going to be weird, but realistically, like if things can be guaranteed to be safe, and that's, you know, take that with a grain of salt, like, does Syracuse want to miss out on Florida while most of the other schools in the conference get a shot at playing in Florida or against a Florida team? Um, I, I just, I think there's still a lot of questions. I think a 10 game conference schedule, fine, whatever. I just, I don't understand at this point how like 10 games plus one really is any safer than just the standard 12 game schedule um, for as much as you can play it. I, you know, I, yeah. I think the, the plus one too is just like a, like, especially, like, if you're not in contention to win your conference or play in the playoff, I just think, and since it's not going to be bowls anyway this year, even though people are still entertaining the idea, um, I just, I don't see why you'd, like, have that random game against Western Michigan, like, just because. Just just seems like a waste. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the it's just inventory at that point. I don't even know who's supposed to have that game, but, like, you're just fulfilling TV contracts with games like that. Um, which is like a, another whole other issue. Um, but I think you're right. Like it's kind of like uh, cynical and honestly, like I don't think that cynicism is out of place in any of this, but like, if you're going to play 11 anyway, you might as just play, might as well just play the 12 or like admit like, Hey, this is a pretty bad idea, especially if we're not in a position to do something radical, like the NBA has done to knock on, I'm knocking on my wooden desk, like, pretty good effect so far as far as we know it sounds like they you know their taste is grand to zero now that could obviously change um versus what the mlb is doing which is basically nothing um so it's it, it's i don't know it's tough it, it's just funny to like see them 
try to like do some things that kind of sound decent but don't actually accomplish anything than like versus just like playing out the string um with all obviously the the complete undergirding of like there's so many limitations placed upon you when you uh have quote-unquote amateur unpaid um student athletes like it's it's funny that if we had just reckoned with that whole thing first years ago and like found a way to 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 equitably pay these pay these you know essentially you know making millions millions of dollars for their school athletes we could probably find a way with their buy-in to have a full season and try to do something that maybe you know abstains from the whole student portion of it which is a kind of a farce in so many ways anyway but at least like you'd have something and where everyone's kind of you know doing the best they can with it versus we have this stupid student athlete amateur model and now it makes it way harder to actually try to fulfill your contracts and play games. Um, so it's kind of what the sport deserves to be very frank. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And uh, unfortunately though, like what's going to happen, I mean, you and I both know that what's going to happen is that they're going to force feed this into a system that doesn't work without dealing with the amateurism issue. And what you're going to end up with is, you know, a kid in the ICU or a, or worse, um, after contracting COVID and like, it's, 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 it seems, I mean, and the, and the more the, you know, the country doesn't get it under control, the, the, the more likely that is to happen. I mean, look at, again, we, we mentioned baseball earlier, look at what happens when you have a bunch of, you know, players making millions of dollars. Um, and even that's not going to keep you, you know, safe from getting it. So I, I, I don't, we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm not expressing a ton of faith in, in us seeing a season as, not even, I mean, as currently constructed is already out the window. Um, I, I think in terms of, you know, even a 10 plus one model seems like a, a, a bit of a stretch. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these folks aren't, aren't in these networks, things like that. Like, they're just, they're not going to leave well enough alone until they're forced to. So I, I think, unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to see something, something very unfortunate happen or, or, or potentially like be hinted at happening um, before we start abandoning like the foolish idea that's kind of on the table here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I'm actually at the point and I've changed. I feel like I changed my my mind like every week now just because of like all the new information and like the hints and winks from the conferences themselves. It, I, I actually would bet pretty heavily on them starting a season. I just don't know what happens if you have a player end up in the ICU, like I like one player in college football and FBS, at the FBS level. Like, I don't know how you have that first uh, event happen. And it doesn't, it's not crazy to think that it'll happen to at least a couple guys just based on the sheer number um, that could be exposed. If college football goes forward, um, especially when you're in like a locker room situation and there's hundred hundred players in every team. Um, and you've already had these big outbreaks at some schools. Luckily, it doesn't sound like anyone's been too sick. But then you throw in um, uh, the, the baseball player, I forget who, who it was, that, who, who had COVID a couple weeks ago and doesn't have it anymore, but still has like 
heart inflammation and all the other lung issues that people have uh, because this attacks the body in so many different horrifying ways. So like, it's, I don't, it's just crazy, but I do think we'll start it. I just, I am not confident at all. We'll just go through a college football season and everyone just like hopes and prays that it works and it works. Like, I, I think you could pro- make the very good argument that the, the fact the NBA is trying to have a season's dumb, but at least they're doing stuff. Like at least they're actually trying to, if it's possible at all, um, do like the safest possible version of this. And, and who knows if it'll ultimately work, but like college football, the NFL, the MLB, they're like, all right, well, we're going to test everyone and uh, probably no fans, even though college football and the NFL won't even commit to that. And uh, then we'll see, I guess, <laughs> like at least like the NBA was kind of aggressive and like, and the NHL as well. And like tried to formulate something. Um, and obviously baseball and football have challenges uh that the NBA does not in terms of roster size, but still it's just like, no one seems to be grasping like the, the severity of it. uh, Oh no. And and, and, and that's been the case the whole time. And like, you look at, yeah, like the NBA uh, there's been some ish hiccups here and there, but realistically, like they've done a good job. Um, You know, the WNBA done a fantastic job um, in, in in terms of, you know, quarantining, establishing a bubble, the whole deal. I mean, I know that they had zero cases uh, when they ran their testing, I, I think that, you know, like NHL, we'll see how this works. Um, it seems like they they at least created a good plan, though. Um, having a bubble um, up in Canada, uh, I, I think, was, you know, the smart idea. I think it was also kind of necessitated just by the fact that the Canadian government uh, doesn't really seem like willing to play ball with, you know, the U.S. being outbreak central. So like uh, with the rap with the Blue Jays, definitely not. Honestly, yeah. honestly, like it seems like the NBA is doing okay. They probably should have just gone to Canada. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like realistically, like the only thing that saves you know the Raptors from getting screwed here is the fact that the whole thing was going to be um, in Orlando. I mean, you and me and, and and millions of others said the same thing when they announced Florida was going to be the central location for this. It never really seemed like it made sense, um, especially when Disney World op- announced they were going to reopen their doors. Uh, you know, in, in advance, I think in hindsight, they probably pick a different city um, to host this. Uh, I'm most intrigued, I think, in the NHL model of, uh, you know, what happens if they, uh, what happens once they uh, go to a central location, because right now they do have the playoffs will take place in two different cities, um, in Edmonton in the West and Toronto in the East. So I am curious what happens um, once they get to the Stanley Cup round. And, uh, and have to pick a, a central location for that um, and, and hope that there's, I mean, obviously if there's no issues um, in the two respective bubbles, then theoretically combining them at the end shouldn't uh, create an issue. But, uh, you know, I think we're, we're, we're still like months out from that at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully all these sports like go, go off without a hitch. I think that's the big stupid misnomer that is uh, floated by, uh, a lot of people that we don't need to do freedoms to on this podcast that like people are rooting for the virus to get sports canceled. And like, I'm a full-time sports writer. <laughs> it's not exactly great for me if college football goes away. Um, that being said, like, I also don't want a bunch of people to die because, you know, Coca-Cola paid for ad time and uh, all state has the good hands field goal nets. Like, I, it's just very like, obviously we want college football to happen. It's just, um, I don't know. It's very hard to to argue. I think that it's smart or reasonable for it to happen, but 
it seems like it's going to at least for a bit. So we'll we'll see what we'll see how it goes. I guess uh, you know, hopefully uh, this all ends up being like more fear mongery than it than it winds up than than it seems now. But but it's hard to be pop, uh, optimistic given all that's transpired over the last couple of weeks, especially with the Marlin stuff today, which is just like you know you, you probably could have seen something like this happening. The fact that it's four days into the season just kind of makes it like more just brutal and and uh just just really horrible um and the fact that it you know has canceled another game because who knows what the breakout and the fallout will be we'll probably find out in a couple days but yeah it's it's like the the worst possible thing you know situation um in terms of just like the first day news with uh with failed tests and it's like literally the season isn't even a week old so who knows how how things even progress from here uh, I, for one, will be claiming a, a title for the Mets if uh, if this season does not occur. I think that's only fair. I mean, I th- I think this is a this this whole year has a very Metsy vibe. So I <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's completely fair. I, I was talking to my wife, and she's a Dodgers fan, and like I, I can I can be a part time Dodgers fan here and there, uh, just for proximity's sake. Um, and she was talking about how you know winning this year doesn't matter. Um, and this is Dodgers fan saying this, uh, saying that winning this year wouldn't matter and that it would always have an asterisk. And I asked her, why does that matter in any way, shape or form? And honestly, if you told me tomorrow that the Mets would have an asterisk title in 2020, I think there isn't a Mets fan alive who wouldn't take it. We just had a team win the World Series rampantly cheating and now everyone knows about it two years ago. I'll take the 60 game title. <laughs> yeah, like I honestly don't care. It won't even be the most asterisky title of this deck of this five year period. <laughs> like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. Also, also for a Dodgers fan, do you really have a leg to stand on here in terms of like not taking a title? Uh, if you're, if I'm a Dodgers fan and they win this year, I'm just like they've gotten so close and have spent so much damn money trying to do this. At some point, it's just like who cares what year the title was? They got one in this time period where they were just like easily throwing... the best franchise in baseball yeah. for the last seven years and zero championships right. you just take one and you just call it the championship in this period of time where you just really needed to win one yeah it's, 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 really, it's really a lifetime achievement award for this uh, ownership group yes it, it's a it's a crowning achievement for the fact that that, that just, one of one of these gambits worked you just want Magic johnson to be able to go on twitter and say i am so happy my los angeles dodgers won a, a world series no, this is this is honestly this is a lot like you know Cubans uh, Cubans Mavs title. It didn't matter which year it was for. It, it, it was just the fact that that Mark Cuban's team figured it out one of those times. I mean, like if the if the Oakland Athletics had figured out Moneyball once, that would have been enough. Yeah, it's it's I, I completely agree. It's like it's it's kind of a process results thing, and in sports it's so tough, especially baseball, where it's so random. Um, like you just Leo, wanna... it's Leo's Oscar for, yeah. for for arguably one of his worst roles. Yes, Leo, his process was really good. He was in constant. He was in constant uh, Oscar, vehicles. Uh, Oscar vehicles and was always in the running and probably should have won for something else. Same with Martin Scorsese when he won for The Departed, which and I love The Departed, but like Martin Scorsese directed a billion incredible films. He didn't win one until The Departed, but. He was always in the in discussion, so eventually he was going to win one because the process was good. That's the same thing with the Dodgers. Like you build a winning franchise, and eventually you're going to win a title, and you know that's just it's you know the process works out eventually. I, I completely agree, and yeah, I yeah I don't 
I mean, granted, she's like a, you know, a, a, I wouldn't say a Dodgers fan of convenience. She grew up in Orange County. She so rooted for the Angels a bunch, despite the fact that her dad is a Dodgers fan. And then when she finally moved to L.A. at some point, then she just became a full-time Dodgers fan. But realistically, she became a full-time Dodgers fan right at the beginning of this run. So, like, her investment in the Dodgers has basically been similar to, you know, someone who became a Yankees fan in, like, 96 and then spent the next, like, eight years and change um, enjoying the spoils of what that means. No, 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 knock on her or any Dodgers fan who's in the same boat. <laughs> I, I, I think just realistically – um, I don't know how any any fan of a team that hasn't won a title in 30 years plus um, could say, no, I don't want it. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a whole big city thing. Like, we have a lot of – I feel like we have a lot of transplant Mets fans who, like, know they shouldn't root for the Yankees but then adopt the Mets. It's like in 15, which is my, my first full year living in the city, like, and I've been a Mets fan my whole life. But, like, you see – so many Mets hats out when the team is decent. Um, so I so think a few a, of them when they're not. Yeah, no, it, like it's more than Yankees when they're good. And it's just like we all just retreat into our bunkers like, you know, the other 80% of the year or, or years. Yeah, I, I had the benefit here where I'm always the only person around here wearing a Mets hat. So I don't really care if we're winning or losing. I mean, that's how everyone knows it's real. Exactly. And also, most of my teams are orange and blue, so I can just interchange gear whenever I want. <laughs> Win me. Anyway, um, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about beer? Cool. Um, I got over, for the first time since COVID started, um, I got one over to Rockaway Brewing, which had a nice little outdoor setup uh, over the weekend. Didn't have too much because uh, it was so hot out, and I thought drinking uh, a lot was not a great idea. Uh, but I did try their Cool Hand Puke, uh, Cucumber Sour, which... Um, was really interesting. It was a very, very, very cucumbery. Um, yeah, which like it, I, I, you know, that I, I should have just done a taster of it because it was, it was an, it, definitely a, an interesting concept. But I like a, a cucumber beer where it's kind of just like a hint, kind of like a cucumber water, where like it's not overpowering. This was very cucumbery. <laughs> um, so by the end, of, by like eight ounces in, I was like, I kind of wish I had ordered something else, but I appreciated trying it. Um, I also got their Hawaiian pizza IPA, which was pretty solid, uh, pineapple IPA. Um, probably could have actually used more of the of the fruit flavor there uh, with that one, but it was it was solid. Um, and then now I am I'm now in the point where I have just bought so much different beer over the last couple of weeks that I just might I can't like justify buying more stuff to bring into my apartment. So I'm working on one of the Seaside Heights beers, uh, the thick uh, lemon and plum that I've had sitting here for a couple of weeks. So I'm I, I'm now in the I need to just drink what I have and then use it as a reason to go buy new stuff. So I'm going to have some repeats probably over the next couple of weeks, but, but that's the situation I'm in. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I mean, I know I've definitely been in a similar deal as, uh, as most listening to this would probably attest to um, just because, yeah, you end up buying more four packs or end up going out less than you, than you would normally. So you, uh, you do end up repeating um, on my end. I uh, had a bunch of different stuff since we, uh, since we last spoke. Smog City, they're a Hoppy Pilsner that was really good um, from Highland Park. They're a Griffith J. Griffith that I've talked about before. Um, just an absolutely um, elite beer, uh, one of the best beers I've ever had. Um, and, and I think most would agree uh, who have had it. Uh, just a pretty fantastic, um, you know, uh, barrel-aged uh, coffee porter. Sorry, I was like, oh, sorry, stout. I always mix up stouts and porters. Um that's my fault. But yeah, fantastic, fantastic beer. 
Um, highly recommended if anyone happens upon it. Um, I had from Smog City, I had Snugglebug that I always rave about. Uh, Yo Coco was a Highland Park's uh, coconut hazy IPA uh, that definitely had a lot of coconut going on, which is a good thing. Um, I think overall, like it wasn't my favorite offering from them, but wasn't a bad one. I still have one more in the fridge. Um, actually had from the uh, the winner of our beer bracket, uh, Mortalis, I had um, had Venus, uh, which was a uh, their chocolate salted caramel pretzel milk stout. That was uh, actually pretty good, uh, courtesy of, uh, of our friend Steve uh, from Smog City. I had the nothing uh, from them. Their 2017 uh, bottle, though, was an Imperial Stout. I had uh, from Hill Farmstead, I had a uh, Self-Reliance. They're a German-grown Amarillo barrel-aged IPA. Um, I had, this is the first time I went out to a meal um, since COVID. Uh, my wife and I went over to the Rockefeller in uh, Hermosa, had a Citraholic IPA from Beechwood. I know not every, there's a lot of just restaurants in general around the country that aren't really doing a great job of keeping distance and all that, but uh, we actually had a table that was at least 20 feet from the nearest person. The server had uh, two masks on. Uh, we had QSR menus. And uh, yeah, so I actually felt pretty comfortable in that experience. That's probably the first and only time I'm going out to eat this entire uh, ordeal. This is what happens when you have a child. Uh, that actually reminds me. I actually also went out to eat for the first time uh, at Jacob's Pickles uh, uh, Southern Food on the Upper West Side, which is one of the better restaurants in the area. Um, and they also did a really, really good job. The only person who came within, like, you know, probably 10 or 15 feet was the uh, was the waiter. Um, and there, I also had more stuff, which I totally forgot to check into. I had, uh, I believe, a peeper ale from Maine. And then, uh, and now I, I'm mad I forgot to check into it because it was really good. Um, what's like the major brewery in Utah? Uh, there's, I mean, there's a couple of breweries. Is Unita? I think it was. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, I'll, I'll look it up and, and mention it uh, just out of nowhere later. Um, it was a beer from Utah that I can't find on the beer menu now because they might have changed it already, but uh, it was very good. Um, and I will find it as we go through the Pac-12. Hey, enough. it's relevant. It's relevant. <laughs> it is relevant. Go Utes. Pac-12 City. Um, one Usually when you drive into town from the airport, um, one of the first things you see is this large Utah Utes um, like a mural on the side of a building and it has like a Pac-12 logo and it's very, very much tells you that, that, you, that you are in Utah country. Um, I've, always, I've enjoyed it both times I've been to Salt Lake. Um, one last beer before we move on to Pac-12. Also had from uh, from Hill Farmstead. I had a bottle of uh, Dorothy. Um, was there? Uh, it's kind of a farmhouse sale, but it's really more of like a pale table beer. Uh, table beer. Um, highly enjoyed that one, um, and would recommend it to anyone that gets uh, Hill Farmstead more regularly than I do. Uh, yes, love all Hill Farmstead. I anyway, I believe uh, the one I had based on check-ins and untapped. Um, from other people there is the Rise and Pine Dark Ale. So uh, I'm not totally sure that's what it was, but it was whatever I had from uh, Uinta was very good. Fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll have to look at up that one myself because I feel like we do get their stuff um, out here with some regularity. Nice. Yeah, it was mostly like I definitely hadn't had anything from them. So it was a nice thing to try. And, and yeah, shout out to Jacob's Pickles on the Upper West Side. If you're in New York, 
they are doing a very, very good job on their social distancing and uh, service. Uh, so support those guys and tip really well. Yeah. I, I mean, if you can, you if should. You're going to dinner, please like tip over the top for what you usually do because like waiters and and everyone else are putting themselves at probably unnecessary risk because that's uh, where we are in this world. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Uh, so Dan, the Pac-12, um, again, the usual caveats, this is assuming we have a season, this is assuming that, you know, things don't turn even significantly more bad. Um, I guess first and foremost, just kind of uh, not who's the best team, but, but who's like the most interesting team for you this season? Um, this is actually, I think the, the Pac-12 is just really fascinating overall because you've had so much coaching turnover slash so many guys that are like, you know, potential coaching turnover coming. Um, but like, who are the guys who are like really solid in their positions in the Pac-12 coaching wise? Like, there really aren't that many. It's it's basically, um, it's basically Whittingham because everyone else is either pretty new or like brand new or potentially on the hot seat. Um, aside from then, like, um, you know, maybe uh, one or two other people. But like, I, I, I think Herm's kind of safe. Her, Herm's probably like the most normal. Aside from Whittingham, is probably the most safe. Um, and I actually am very, you know, I think we made fun of that hire a lot. A lot of people made fun of that hire a lot. Um, and it's actually a decent jumping off point. Um, I think Herm has done a really nice job <laughs> of of doing, you know, exa- doing like exactly what Arizona State said in a very yeah. buzzworthy manner that they were going to do. And it's like, Herm's going to oversee everything and he's going to hire good coordinators. And like teams say that all the time and they're going to do like the CEO approach. It seems like they've actually done it. Um, and even this year, like they've lost coordinators. They bring in Marvin Lewis, a former NFL head coach. And like, you could debate his NFL head coaching tenure, but like a big name DC along with Antonio Pierce, who seems like a, a DC in waiting type deal where like once Lewis is done coaching college after probably a year or two, Pierce takes over and then they hired Zach Hill from Boise as their offensive coordinator 39 year old young you know potentially head coach waiting in the future uh, forward thinking offensive coordinator so like and they've been pretty good they have Jaden Daniels at quarterback who's a you know I think flies under the radar a bit as far as young quarterbacks go um, especially in this league where like Keaton Slovis obviously takes up a lot of the oxygen and rightfully so Um, so I think Arizona State's a really interesting team Um, and like totally you know unless unless the, the Herm, Herm ends up, uh, and I apologize for this, uh, being who – this, this is a different – that wasn't him. Uh, I was going to say uh, who we thought they were, but that's not <laughs> Herm. Uh, just delete that out of the podcast. No, it's uh, staying. It's definitely staying. Uh, I thought it was so clever, and then I went one word into the delivery and like, nope, that was Denny Green. Uh, brutal. Um, <laughs> Owned. Just awful. Just an awful moment for me. Herm is coaching to win the game, clearly. Um, no, I think Arizona State's, uh, a, you know, maybe the most interesting team here outside of, like, you know, Oregon to be a Pac-12 uh, college playoff contender, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think Arizona State's probably probably my, my most intriguing team. And also, like, assuming Herm keeps it up, I will gladly make a topa for what was probably, like, an entire episode of us making fun of that hire at the time. Uh, now we can just make fun of the Charles Durrell hire. That's fair. Um, honestly, yeah, like I think ASU is high on the list. And this is really, a co- I mean, like you said, it's a conference of interesting teams. Um, I think for me, Washington's the most interesting team um, just because of the nature of things where uh, 
you know, the sudden departure of a, of, of a great, great coach in uh, Chris Peterson. And then you end up hiring Jimmy Lake and Jimmy Lake may or may not be able to continue what was going on at Washington. Uh, they've recruited well, uh, but they've been recruiting well. They've been churning out NFL talent. I think Washington, you know, could be the second best team in the Pac-12 North. Or maybe not. I think Oregon is interesting, if only because they're Oregon and they do weird shit. You know, Cal should not, probably not be as good as they are, but at the same time, they should potentially be better. Um, And you could say that about the Bears pretty much every year for the last 15 years, where they continue to, no matter how many games they win or lose, uh, turn out NFL talent and good talent at that. I, I think that Justin Wilcox has done a fantastic job there, and people actually see them as a potential, you know, eight or nine win team, which is weird. Washington could win eight or nine games or they might completely fall apart and win six. Like Stanford has, I don't think David Shaw's on the hot seat, but I feel like he should be at this point just because like Stanford's kind of struggled to do anything of note now for like several seasons in a row. And since we know what Stanford can do um, at this point, like as a program, I do feel like Shaw needs to get them into a better place or else then maybe I'm just like misreading the, 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 the fan base and, and the, the, uh, the administration. But I mean, Dan, do, do, you, do you feel like this is a pretty like difficult situation at this point that really needs to be rectified in a hurry? Yeah, I, I feel like he's kind of worn out like the, the post-Harbaugh glow of, of, you know, this team is going to keep on t- competing for Pac-12 titles and, you know, being on the fringes of the playoff conversation. Um, they just haven't been that team in, in years um, I think it's it's hard to know. Like I feel like Stanford doesn't need football, like probably more than any other team in the FBS. Like they just it's cool for them that they have it. They really don't need it. So I and 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 Shaw seems like such a good fit culturally for them. Um, and it just seems like such a Stanford guy that they're probably gonna be very reticent to make a change there unless they really need to. So maybe that's like, you know, if he if he just falls back to winning eight and like occasionally ten games once in a while that might be okay for them. Um, but it is weird because I think if he was at most other schools um, in terms of that had like at least what seemed like national championship or like second tier college football um, aspirations, I think he would be very much a hot seat candidate. And at Stanford, you just don't ever hear that buzz. And I don't know if it's just because of how Stanford operates or if it's because Stanford just is never going to be as aggressive if they think that a guy is a pretty good fit and will be willing to, to give him more leeway as long as things don't totally fall apart. But uh, Stanford also hasn't been as good for long stretches as they were in the Harbaugh slash like first half of Shaw's tenure. So it's hard to like point back to, uh, to history and say like, Oh, well that's what Stanford did this other time. So it's definitely a, an, an interesting situation because it's hard to know if they'll handle it like a college football stool or if they'll handle it in this very different way where like, they're just not going to worry too much about falling back to the pack a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that like Washington is one of those schools Washington and Stanford are two of the schools actually. Um, they're not the only ones, but I think like that have been directly harmed by the, uh, and I think the big 10 says there's a couple of these two directly harmed by the nine game conference schedule. Um, I, I think Stanford is better potentially than they have been by record lately, but I also think that like, yeah, you look at this team. Yes, they've they've turned on they've turned in really good classes with a minimal amount of players. And that's impressive and awesome. But I do think, yeah, like you look at the 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 minimal the kind of minimizing returns, um, the fact that they're not necessarily 
you know, the, the, the NFL factory that maybe they have been at certain points. Um, just like the recent results don't necessarily say that Washington win or lose has still been able to turn out a lot of NFL players. Cal has, um, Stanford can't necessarily say the same thing. Um, at least to the same extent as those schools. I think the fact that, you know, those schools are waking up, um, to some extent, Oregon state's waking up to some extent, you know, Washington state, we'll see what happens without leech, but they are, 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 are a team that could really, um, you know, still stick around, you know, in the, in, in the top half of this conference, potentially really what, and, and, and like I said, with Cal, like what that does is really put Stanford in peril of, of finishing toward the bottom of this league. Well, at least this division, if not the league overall, like I don't really know what, what Stanford's doing at this point. Um, and really, I, I, I think, I think if they trend down once again, you do end up with a situation where like, do you have to move on from Shaw? And if you do, who are you hiring and what are you expecting them to do? I just, I, I don't love like, it, you know, and someone who like does casually like keep an eye on Stanford um, just from my time up in the Bay area where, you know, of the two schools up there, they were the one that I just kind of gravitated toward um, in terms of attention and, and, and giving a shit, if only because, um, you know, of, of the fact that we uh, realistically, I, I think, private schools around the country. It's just kind of fun to pay attention to what they're up to um, given Syracuse's stature um, and status as a private school. Like for me, this, this Stanford situation is really kind of perilous at this point. Um, and, and since we know that Stanford can be a national title contender, I mean, they have been Stanford between, you know, Harbaugh and Shaw, like you alluded to earlier, did kind of elevate themselves into a second tier national title contender status. And, you know, no, not, not blue blood status by any means, but, had themselves in conversations with blue bloods kind of year in and year out. And, and, and to me, like, no, that doesn't mean that you have to do that every single year. Uh, but, but I do think that, you know, Stanford should be able to win eight or nine games a year. Um, and I just feel like that's been more of a struggle than maybe um, it should be. And I don't know if Shaw's on, on the hot seat, but I, I think this is going to be a fascinating job. I still think Washington's my pick for most interesting I, 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 I'm in the same boat as you that there are, there are, there are far too many interesting jobs here. And that might be maybe the problem um, for the PAC 12 in recent years where they've failed to get a team in the playoff. It's because there's just too much interesting and not enough, just straight up bad or good. Yeah. I do think the North has a chance to be like really impressive top to bottom because like if Stanford's in your bottom three in that division, like Stanford, at least we should know the baseline. And then Oregon state is way ahead of where I think people thought they would be at this point. Jonathan Smith, Another, like, just hire you didn't hear much about. No one really knew what to make of it. Um, seemed to know exactly what he needed to do culture-wise there. They were uh, flirtatious with a bowl last year and, like, were very, very competitive um, for a pretty bad team. Um, Washington State, who knows what happens from here post-Leach. Um, I know we're both big fans of Nick Um I think uh, Hawaii and Pullman are about as different as you can get in terms of environments, but they both also occupy – this very interesting outpost status in college football where like recruiting to them. Um, and honestly, like retreat probably will not, you know, totally slack off of recruiting Hawaii because Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian players have success at places like Washington state and like those kind of far off Pac 12 locations, but like him inheriting Leach's system and transforming into that more like run and gun type thing he runs um, will be fascinating, but I'm, I'm really excited about that just because I think he's, 
one of the more fun, innovative coaches who uh, I really enjoyed staying up till 4 a.m. to watch his team. Now we'll get to only stay up till like 2 a.m. Um, but like, if those are your two worst teams, um, those are both really interesting teams because Cal, um, like you said, Wilcox is, is, I think, one of the better young coaches in college football. I don't know how long he's going to stay there, but like, if he can get them to a 9 or 10 win plateau, uh, he's going to have so many offers. And then Oregon, like, it's boring to talk about them, but Cristobal has done a really fascinating job in kind of turning them from what they were into like a more um, offensive defensive line oriented team, still fun on offense, but not like, you know, the Chip Kelly team, obviously, um, but recruiting probably better than they ever have. And then the hire of Joe Moorhead, I think is, is really interesting. And I think if they paid big dividends, he, he, I thought got a really tough, uh, just like, I didn't think he got a fair shake at Mississippi state. Honestly, um, I think if that was most other conferences, he would have gotten another year at least. Um, I think he's a really, really fun offensive coach. Uh, and then you throw in um, a guy like Panay Sewell, uh, who could be the number one pick if a non-quarterback uh, need team gets there. And like Oregon, I don't know they're, they're a, a super high playoff contender because I think the quarterback's a question replacing Justin Herbert. But um, it's even if even if it's kind of boring to talk about Oregon as the team, it's not like it's it's a very different looking Oregon team than what we've seen, uh, you know, historically with Chip Kelly and and uh, the guys before that. Anyone telling you that Anthony Brown is going to lead this team to a playoff, I have uh, I have some news for you. Um, he is we not. See, we know Anthony Brown. Um, I mean, I don't I think know he's that guy. guy. He's he's not good. He's he's okay sometimes, but not not you know he's not Justin Herbert and like look Justin at, Herbert was. Yeah, like Justin Herbert was fantastic, obviously, but like Leah, yeah, look at I. You know, th- there's been this recent influx of uh, of like okay to pretty good like ACC quarterbacks who transfer elsewhere and we're suddenly supposed to believe that they're like I mean look over in Georgia like we're gonna get to this eventually uh with the SEC but like Jamie Newman shows up and everyone's like oh he's a Heisman contender and a top 10 pick it's like nah I'm good that's not gonna happen uh there's no knock on him but like we saw him in action and like he, he like he he's not gonna be like you know, suddenly amazing. And just like Anthony Brown, like Oregon's like, yeah, we'll take this guy. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, nah, it's not <laughs> like it. Cause, Cause anyone, you know, with eyes could just look at the box scores and realize that most of Anthony Brown's, um, you know, statistics when he actually could stay on the field uh, were piled up against bad teams. Uh, and, and, and that's not really like, that's not atypical of college football players necessarily, but that's also like, I'm just confused as to why Oregon thinks this is the answer. But anyway, um, because I know we're not going to spend a ton of time um, on the Pac-12 South, mostly because it's bad, but also because of our own time limitations here. Um, like, realistically, Dan, is uh, I, I would love to pick Utah again, but I just can't. Uh, it's boring to pick USC, but USC is also like this boring, weird team that – you know, we, we talk about them every year because they always seem like the most likely place to hire away Dino Babers. But the question begs, A, can anyone get fired this year? And B, if people can get fired, what's the, like, could Helton still get fired if he leads USC to like a nine-win record, but they lose the Pac-12 championship? The, the fire question is very interesting given the Pac-12 South because I think Sumlin um kelly and helton are so firmly on the hot seat that like very fireable all in in normal years i think 
you know, at least two of them go. Um, and not three just because, like, one of them will probably benefit from the other two getting fired. Um, and then you throw in, like, the Charles Durrell hire at Colorado was just so questionable. Yeah. So out of nowhere, he's, you know, I don't think you fire a coach after one year in almost any instance, barring, like, scandal. Unless but... Durrell goes 0-12. And, and even then, I don't think, A, you can have someone go 0-12 this season. Right. And B, I... Like, it's just bad. It's just dumb hire. Yeah. It, like... Colorado, and not to totally show this to Colorado, because I think they're probably like the least relevant stool in this division right now. Um, I don't think they have to be bad. Like they were had that weird ten win year under McIntyre, and like maybe that was kind of fluky. Um, but like, there's a there's stuff to sell at Colorado. It's a beautiful place. There's some decent football in the area. They're playing in a pet bid, bid conference. Like, I don't get why you couldn't have made a more interesting hire than this. Like. The the Wazoo should not be hiring like Wazoo is a harder job than Colorado, and they made a much better hire. Well, the administration's so, in a rough spot because of their like financial situation and 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 their 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 coaching situation. And, and we talked about the assistant coach issue of like there's only so many coaches you can really have like long term stability, and there's really only so many employees in, you know in the Colorado system that can have long term stability. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever brought this up, but I do feel like the legalization of marijuana in the state did sort of coincide with a, uh, with a resurgence. Um, not like there weren't bad teams during that time as well, but that timing does almost match up. And, and it does seem like the proliferation of uh, legalization around the country and, and rightfully so um, did sort of align with Colorado. Then once again, just like kind of being also ran maybe. Yeah. I could be making this up, and if I'm not, then great. And if I am, then this is still a fun narrative for a minute on this podcast. I'd, I'd be interested to see the correlation. I feel like they've been an also-ran for, like, longer, like, predating legalization. Oh, for sure. Um, I think they were already when they left the Big 12, and I think – I don't know that the, the patch move has made it worse, but um, it, I don't know. It's just very strange, and, and it just seems like they've had a run of – pretty unima- like unimaginative hires and then Mel Tucker seemed like a good one and was you know had things going in a, in a good direction um and also I think I think stools like that suffer when big stools are more uh, aggressive in their firing um slash obviously Michigan State didn't fire Mark D'Antonio um but in general I think because bigger stools fire dies quicker guys like Mel Tucker um get poached away more quickly than they would have because like it's very rare to see it or at least for a long time it was very rare to see guys go from like you know under 500 first seasons to bigger jobs just based on like profile and like uh you know uh, uh oh that seems to be going okay and like we're kind of lucky that it didn't happen with babers before he won uh, or like after he won nine games or ten games um but like i think on the other side like it doesn't stop babers from getting hired away even if he you know, only go sits and sits or sits and five or whatever this year looks like um, this year. So I don't know. I'd be fascinated because like, it just seems like on its on paper, Colorado should at least be like a middling power five school. And they just haven't been for so long. Um, but I also, I don't, I'm not as attuned to like the, I know there's like a weird situation with contracts there that makes it tough to pay assistance. Um, what, you know, if the going rate is in college football these days. Um, anyway, like to go with the other patch of stuff, like, it's just you have a very questionable group of coaches here. Just Kelly just doesn't just seems checked out at UCLA. He had that weird like recruiting thing where like just didn't seem to work that Bud Elliott's written a lot about um, in terms of like super selectivity 
which just isn't like always the pathway if you're not a Stanford. Um, Helton probably would be fired by almost any other power school uh, in the country, but who knows? Like USC seems to be looking for reasons to keep him. Um, he's also just lucked into like some incredible, uh, an incredible run of like really good quarterbacks. Um, Keaton Slovis looks awesome, and he will basically save Clay Helton's job if Clay Helton's job is saved. But like you said, and like we've talked about a lot in the show, it's such a huge question mark whether or not like schools are going to have a normal hiring firing situation this year because um, money is going to be very, very tight for a lot of them. Um, I think the SEC will just do what it does, but that's basically it. Like, I don't know that Arizona is going to fire Sumlin. I don't know that that Helton will go if he has another down year, unless he like totally collapses. I don't know that Chip Kelly is going to go because I assume his buyout's really onerous. So the Pac-12 South might be in like kind of a, kind of a stasis year where these guys all end up coming back and not really solving anything. And then recruiting hit and hit probably a weird lull where it's going to be a very strange uh, signing class. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 North, like everyone's at least in decent shape. And if you're worst, if you're like weirdest, most questionable situation um, is Stanford. Like, I don't know. I feel like for a little while, there was like a pretty big uh, swing out of balance with the South being a stronger lead for a division. And the North is just taking that back in a huge way um and it, it might end up looking not totally like the acc but like something close to it yeah i think uh realistically like utah is the only thing that stops um the uh, the pac-12 south from being the coastal uh and and then that's that makes them super interesting because i think that like they're really like a less competent coastal but again like it's just the fact that utah's there and utah is just like a i mean utah might be like the Virginia Tech of uh of the the Pac-12 South. If, if that works. Even with Vontet's bad, they're not like that bad. Yeah, and and like there's just a stability there, even with uh you know a couple coaches. Um, having been there, Miami, which is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> comparison done. <laughs> we 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 figured it out. But Dan, to, to kind of wrap us up here with this Pac-12, and, and it is fitting that we barely mentioned UCLA. Um, I mean. Uh, Thomas Robinson's a quarterback, uh, and that's about it. <laughs> Way to go, UCLA. You're going to finish no worse than four and eight yet again. They're going to finish uh, different than that because they're only playing uh, nine games this year. The equivalent and, of and whatever games. four and eight is in this new environment. Actually, have they made a decision if they're playing? I think they're playing 10 games, right? That's their plan. Is well, they said conference game? only. I don't know if they've said 10 games. I think they're saying by the end of this week – what the schedule will be. I don't know. I don't remember if they had said they were moving it up, but I know there's been speculation. They might move to 10 games, but they're conference only. So this will be, you know, they're playing all these teams. So they're not, and, and that, that leads us to some, some really tough translations. I think we had what Oregon, Ohio state and Washington, Michigan this year. Yeah. There was, which, some, there was some great games actually. Yeah. So hopefully we get those down the road when it's uh, safe to have them. Oh, USC, Alabama, obviously. Uh, which would have been just not a fun to watch. Hilarious bloodletting, like it was a couple years ago. Not even worth having. <laughs> so Dan, with 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 all that random and not so relevant uh, conversation in mind, who uh, who do you see winning each of these divisions? I am going Oregon, Arizona State, and I'm going to go Oregon for the title. I think that Oregon is a very reasonable pick. Um, on the other side, I think there's a, I think there's really only three teams that you are allowed to pick. And even then, I think the list is probably more like two. 
Um, Arizona State's interesting. I'm going to pick USC. Um, that makes things less interesting, clearly. Um, but I, I, I want to see how Helton finds a way to creatively get fired. And, and him winning that division is part of that, that, that mixture. Because obviously getting fired after winning your division does make things just all the more uh, the more fun, especially at USC. Um, I'm going to pick USC. I'm going to pick Oregon on the other side. As much as I'd love to pick USC and some fun, let's see if Helton can get fired after winning the conference um, scenario. I, I, I just think, uh, actually, no, yeah, screw it. I think USC is going to win the Pac-12 this year. I, I want to just before we go, I want to throw out the funniest possible USC uh, that I just came up with. Dude. I think the funniest USC situation is they win the South on a weird like tiebreaker at like five and four, um, if that's possible. Maybe six and three. But in, the, in the process, they get crushed by UCLA, who's like two and seven. <laughs> they go to the Pac-12 championship. They lose to Oregon. Oregon goes to the playoff at like undefeated or one loss. So USC somehow slips into the Rose Bowl. Helton gets fired before the Rose Bowl, but then wins the Rose Bowl against Michigan, Penn State. Um, I think that that would be my favorite uh, my favorite outcome for them. I I approve. <laughs> I I would love to see it. Also, being in LA, I would honestly I would I would start listening to LA Sports Talk Radio again um, j- just to hear you know, people clawing their eyes out on that one. <laughs> I just feel like uh, Helton having his Greg Robinson at Notre Dame moment at the Rose Bowl after getting, like, blown out by a total of, like, 60 points between UCLA and Oregon games would be very special. Please sign me up for that. <laughs> LA, LA football is interesting at times. It's it's unexplainable at others. And, uh, and, and USC doing dumb, interesting things is, is, is a key part of, of keeping things uh, as, as uh, I wouldn't even say fun or interesting because that's not it. Um, I would say, who cares? I don't even know where I was going with this comparison. We might just... And here, of- here calls, I mean, if you're not going to cut my horrible da- uh, <laughs> my horrible gaff earlier, I don't know that you get to cut that. That's fair. Everyone gets one. This is this has been our annual. We talk about the Pac-12 way longer than we talk about way better conferences um, that people actually care about more that listen to our podcast episode. But also in the worst ways because we don't talk about things that matter. That's true, and also I think the Pac-12, like we said, is actually very interesting this year. So hopefully everyone appreciates it. Agreed, agreed. I uh, I, I I will watch as much of it as I possibly can. Yes, like the Mets, bring it all full circle. Even if it's a bad idea, we will be watching it. <laughs> this year it's not the worst comparison Mets are up seven to one against the red sox so i will take this uh you know until we blow this lead somehow i will be happy about this yeah on that note dan what else you got anything are we good no we're good it's an hour eight we're we're, we're more than good <laughs> we're, we're, we're super good some might say <laughs> there and we go that, and then that's my cue time to go that was dan I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, Spotify, whatever else you listen to this on. I'm sure there's a million other services. And go Orange. Let's go Mets. <laughs>